0: 12 episodes of this podcast in the fifth circle of hell amongst the wrathful and the sullen. Can you believe it? Well, two interpolated ones about the text and a little bit about, well, did Dante intend all of this stuff that we're doing around it. So 10 solid episodes of the fifth circle and then two interpolated episodes. We have been amongst the wrathful and the sullen who get a little forgotten. The wrathful and the sullen for four ever, but we have moved on. The gates of Dis, they have been opened by the little wand of the heavenly messenger. Oh my Gosh, all we've had, furies and medusas and messengers and Florentines coming up out of sticks and boats, but we've passed on. So here we are, Inferno, Canto 9, lines 107 through 133. And I, who had a tremendous desire to know the condition of such a fortress, the moment I was inside, I cast my gaze about and saw quite a wide plain all around, full of grief and awful torment, just as at Arles, where the Rhone slows down, and at Pola, right up against the Gulf of Quarnerno, which encloses Italy and bathes her borders, where the tombs make the terrain uneven. So it was in this place on all sides, but with one very bitter difference. Here the tombs were checkered with fire that heated them up so much, no art needs the iron to be hotter. The lids of the tombs were lifted up, and the dreadful laments that came from inside were so hideous that they could only have come from wretchedness and pain. And I, master... Who are these people who, encased in these chests, make themselves felt with their suffering sighs? And he to me, here are the chief heretics with their followers from every sect. The tombs are so packed, you won't believe it. Like is entombed with like, but the monuments are hot by degrees, some more, some less." We took a turn by the right hand, and we passed between the Torments and the High Battlements. Okay, we are going to be now, from here on out for the next six, maybe seven episodes, amongst the Heretics. And let me say that the Circle of Heretics is maybe not as dramatically wild as the Circle of the wrathful. But it is actually more difficult in an interpretive framework as we will see and i'm just going to tell you up front the circle of the heretics is about what humans do to and for each other but mostly to each other this is what is going to set down on us over the next six or seven episodes of this podcast all the way through and out canto 10 So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna read the passage at the beginning and the ending of each episode so you kind of get it set. All right, this passage, I have five general observations about the heretics and the sixth circle of hell and where we are, and then I have six glosses on this passage, six specific points. I just wanna stop in the passage and look at the line. So let's start it off with the five general observations. First, the one thing you don't notice inside a medieval city is a cemetery. Our pilgrim and his guide have walked through the gates of Dis. They have walked into this fortress, the city of hell, Dis, and the first thing they see are tombs. In medieval context, of course, some people, the wealthy, the noble, some of the clergy, only some of the clergy, are buried perhaps in the town's cathedral, if the town has a cathedral or its church, perhaps. Everybody else is buried outside the walls. Everybody else. You don't have corpses hanging around inside the walls. And so to walk through the gates of the city and see a cemetery is automatically wild weird odd we know something's really off a city with a cemetery inside of it that's that's not right. That's that's disease, that's troubling, that's ghosts. That, that's the walking dead. That's all kinds of problems in a medieval context. You don't put the dead inside the city except the lucky ones who get inside the church and maybe if there's a castle in the city, maybe some kind of tombs there. We automatically know something's wrong in the 6th circle of hell amongst the heretics. My second observation. This is the only circle that we have encountered in which our pilgrim and his guide do not need to step or climb down. They go straight in. The walls of Dis are there. The gate of Dis is there. The heavenly messenger, Mercury Christ, Michael, somebody opens that gate. They walk in, but they don't step down. This is, in fact, One of the few times there is not a direct descent. There's there's a sloping descent later on in Inferno. But really, everything is a step down, a step down, a step down. You're always heading down in hell. Not here. We pass through the walls of Dis, and we pass... mm, horizontally, as it were, into them. That's intriguing because it makes this circle, the sixth circle of the heretics, as you heard in the passage, different in some fundamental way. Third point, you wouldn't know which sin is being punished here if you weren't told about it. When Dante looks around, the pilgrim looks around and sees all these tombs scattered about, we'll talk more about this in a minute. He has no clue who's actually being punished here. Remember in the lustful, he had no no problem identifying these are the lustful. And other circles, he's had a bit of a problem. And here we're back to a problem. He doesn't know who these are. And so he has to ask Virgil who's in there. And then Virgil tells him the chief heretics with the followers of every sect. Interestingly, it's not self-evident what's being punished. My fourth point. Why is heresy the first of the sins of the will? I told you that you can think of hell as basically a two-part division. The sins of the appetites, lust, avarice, gluttony, even wrath. The sins of the loss of self-control. And then once we get inside this, we have sins that are much more a commission of the will why is heresy here? How is heresy a commission of the will? And it's a harder question than you might imagine. It has troubled many a commentator over the centuries. Why heresy is here? Why do you step inside of this and find heresy? One particular answer that is often advanced, it was advanced by Boccaccio, by lots of different commentators, is that heresy is a particularly obdurate or hardened sin. That is, in order to be a real heretic, this is the theory, the truth is so self-evident that you have to harden your will to not accept the truth, to stand in your heresy, means that you have grasped it and you've held down to your will. The the, the basic root of this comes from St. Thomas Aquinas from the Summa Theologica. We're in part two, uh, book two, question five, article three, right there where Aquinas says, if a man is not pertinacious in disbelief, he is not a heretic, but only in error. In other words, pertinacious. In other words, hardened. If a man is not hardened in his disbelief, then he's not a heretic. He's just in error. So heresy is a hardening of the will. And this harkens back to the threat from the Furies to call out Medusa. Is this part of the petrification, that heresy itself is a hardening of a stance so that you're not open to the truth. It may be sitting back there in some way. It's an interesting thing because we don't think of heresy this way. We think of heresy as somebody saying something that what is against orthodoxy. So Dante may be seeing heresy as more a sin of commission, that you actually commit it, that you go for it, harden your will, and hold on to it. Because for Dante, the truth is self-evident. The truth is clear, obvious if you just look you'll know the truth we'll talk so much more about this when we get to purgatorio that the truth is obvious and in order to stand in your error you have to harden your will against any change and now the fifth point when you step out in a religious poem on your own you must be careful of heresy Remember I told you in the last episode we came up to the limits of the Virgilian landscape. There are going to be plenty of references to the Aeneid going forward, trust me. But the Virgilian landscape, that is the setting, we have now passed beyond it into the walls of Dis, where Aeneas and the poet Virgil could not ever go. Maybe there's something to be said here that when our poet Dante steps out on his own in a completely religious poem, he's got to really watch out for heresy because now you're completely on your own. There's a great story told in Dante, that Dante tells in his book, The Convivio or The Banquet. And this story goes like this There is a snowy. Plane that has a path through it that you can't see anymore because it's buried in snow. Somebody sets out across it and finds a home across this plane in the snow. And, okay, there are the tracks. And they lead to a house. They lead to where you need to go. The next person comes along and instead of following in those tracks, kind of willfully just takes out in another direction and, of course, gets lost, And the point of the story in the Convivio is when mm, your master has laid down the tracks you best follow in them. Well, that may be running underneath this. It's funny that heresy is the first of the sins in the new fully Dantean landscape. Okay, those are my five observations. Now let's do six glosses out of the passage itself. So the passage starts out that they walk in, the pilgrim has a tremendous desire to know what's going on inside the city, he looks all around the wide plain, he hears or sees or hears or gazes at grief and awful torments, I assume hears because later it's hearing it sighs, and then comes the simile, just as at Arles, where the Rhone, it's kind of stagnates in the Florentine, where the Rhone slows down, at Arles in the south of France, where the Rhone slows down and makes that giant Delta down there. And at Pola, right up against the Gulf of Quanerno in Italy that encloses Italy and baser border, right those two places where there are, these are famous Roman cemeteries. And the tombs, it's said in the text here by us, there's so many tombs that the terrain, the ground is kind of uneven because there's just so many sarcophagi about. Okay, I want to say two things about that simile. One, those are Roman cemeteries. So we know we're talking about sarcophagi. That's the first thing. And two, those are Roman cemeteries, which is the first introduction of something imperial or about politics. And this canto amongst the heretics will be so much about politics. Mm, Wow. It'll be so much about the fusion of politics and poetics. But this is our first little hint that we're going to hear something about a political arrangement because we're hearing something uh, comparing it to Roman cemeteries. So there's so many tombs they make the terrain uneven and now my second clause. So it was in this place but very bitter difference. Here the tombs were checkered with fire that heated them up so much. No art needs the iron to be hotter clearly an idea of a a metal sculptor or a forge in which you heat the iron up and you got to get it so hot before you can bend it it's that use of the word art no art needs the iron to be hotter we this is the second setup because as i said this circle with the heretics is going to be about politics and poetry and that the Roman cemeteries are immediately followed by a reference to art. Dante is dropping hints about where we're headed. We're headed toward questions of art and politics amongst the heretics, but that's to come in subsequent episodes. Third gloss. The lids of the tombs were, I translated it, lifted up. The word that's used there is suspended. It's the same word that Virgil uses to describe himself in limbo. The lids of the tombs were suspended. Interesting that this word that Virgil has used to describe himself is here used to describe the lids of the tombs. And is that because those in limbo were in inadvertent error? Whereas these are in willful and obdurate error. There could be a reference calling us back to limbo, that those in limbo, Horace and Lucan and all the rest of them and Virgil, were in error without any access to the truth. But these that we're going to meet are in error with access to the truth and so this word suspended comes up here it's a weird word the lids of the tombs were suspended there's a lot of commentary on this what are they doing floating up later we're going to see it seems like the tomb lids are leaning against the tombs i mean what exactly is going on here it's a little tough to say it's, i can just tell you that word suspended gets used and it's hard to hear that word without thinking of limbo fourth clause. Dante says, Master, who are these people who, encased in their chests, make themselves felt with their suffering signs? This word chest, of course, refers to the sarcophagi or the monuments, the tombs that they're in. But it's also the same word that you would use for an ark, Noah's Ark. I'm just setting this up right here because it's going to play out in the circle. (laughs) We have to wait For this, but this is the first reference to the word ark. And ark and baptism and Noah are all going to kind of come up inside of the next canto amongst the heretics. And to say who are these encased in there, I translated as chess, we could say who are these encased in their arks. Make themselves felt with their sufferings. I've told you this before, but this is the Dantean poetic strategy. That is that you drop small hints in preparation for the big drop to come. I should also say... Full credit to this idea that this ark is setting up Noah's ark, which is setting up references to baptism later. All comes out of Anthony Castle's 1984 book, Dante's Fearful Art of Justice. This is not my thoughts. This is Castle's thoughts, and I find it very compelling for the way the cantos of the heretics get woven together. But again. First reference to arcs. Because Noah's Ark, I should just say to you, is a medieval symbol for baptism. It's floating on the waters. It's coming out of the waters and being saved when the floods dry up and Noah walks out onto dry land. So, again, here first. Now the fifth gloss. Virgil responds. These are the chief heretics. Heretics with their followers from every sect. In the classical world... You cannot have heretics. You have competing schools of philosophical thought. But you can't have heretics. You have to have orthodoxy to have heretics. So, you know, OK, the schools of Athens and the various ways that people thought in classical thinking, sure, they all had their own opinions and they formed their own schools and Socrates had his, you know, everybody had their own set of students and yada, yada, yada. You don't have heretics. You might, I might have my school and claim that you're an error in your school, but we're just debating a point here. We're not heretics. Notice that the first step inside this in the Dantean landscape is a step out of the classical world. It's a step into heresy. Heresy is a functionality for Dante of his world, we would even argue, of a modern world. Notice how many times people get described as heretics who, I don't know, don't want to take the COVID vaccine. <laughs> Believe me, I want the COVID vaccine while well, I'm recording this right now. But um modus <laughs> how when people d- disagree with things, they often get now called heretics. This is a much more modern concept that there is a right that is orthodox and that if you're against it there's something obdurate or hardened about your error okay just this we have stepped off the virgilian tectonic and into a dantean plate where dante is going to have to make it up on his own and the first thing we see is something that you couldn't have in the classical world sixth gloss Virgil goes on and says, Like is entombed with like, but the monuments are hot by degrees, some more or less. We'll talk about this more in future episodes, why they are. But for now, you should just know that each of these tombs holds a sect, you know, a whole sect, a chief heretic and everybody that followed along with them. Seems a little odd that you could shove all of these people in the tomb. But Virgil does say the tombs are so packed, you couldn't possibly believe how many are in there. And... If the soul is not corporeal, then you could shove an infinite number of people in each sarcophagus because the soul is not taking up width, distance, or length, nor does it have weight. So, if the soul is non-corporeal, we get we can get infinity numbers in each tomb. But Virgil says, "Like is entombed with like." So, you know, if I have my heresy, uh, I've started some heresy, you know, about I don't know what Christ's divinity, then I'm going to get put into one of these tombs along with my fellow students. The monuments are hot by degrees. But then this curious bit, he took a turn by the right hand, they turn right, and we passed between the torments and the high battlements. So they're standing there and they go right. And now the tombs have to be on their left and the walls of dis on their right. There is so much written about this in the commentary. Because throughout Inferno, Virgil and Dante always turn to the left except twice. This is the first of two times in which they don't turn to the left, they turn to the right. Why is this here? Why amongst the heretics are one of only two times they turn to the right? The left Forgive me if you're left-handed. I don't think this. But the left is associated with sinister and bad and all, the, all that old folkloric tradition. So in hell, of course, you're going to always be heading left because it's a sinister bad place. Why suddenly right here? Well, there may be a reference here to, guess what, the Aeneid. When Aeneas and the command sibyl are standing right at the walls of Dis... The left-hand path leads down to Tartarus. The right-hand path is the path they choose, which is not down to Tartarus. You might say, well, wait a minute, but this now, right, they're going right. So, uh, you know, that means they're going in the same way away from Tartarus. Yeah, but the difference is here Dante is inside the walls. Our pilgrim and Virgil are now inside the walls of Dis, in a way that Aeneas and the Sybil are outside the walls. So while it may be an echo of their right-handed turn in the Aeneid, they're turning right inside Dis, which is completely different. In Virgil, basically, evil has to be shunned. You turn right. You turn away from Tartarus. You don't look at evil. You don't pay attention to it. You turn away from it. You look for heroics and glory and valor and all that stuff in the Aeneid, and you turn away from Tartarus. Here, we've crossed into it in in a Christian or Dantean context. The notion is you got to look at evil. you got to see it so we've crossed over into dis in the ways that Aeneas haven't so that it didn't so that we can fully see what's evil this is surely modern this is not a construct in which honor and glory are the only values that we should hold rather like we moderns <laughs> we want to stare at what's bad how many crime shows exist on tv how many terrible murders exist you know i'm always dumbfounded my husband and i watch a great deal of of Scandinavian tv of nordic noir of danish of norwegian of swedish of finnish tv And so much Danish and Swedish and Finnish and Norwegian TV is so very violent. And I always say to Bruce, this is insane. The the Danes have these incredibly graphic and horrific murders that get solved over, let's say, 10 episodes in a country that only has, I don't know, 11 murders a year in the entire country. (laughs) They have this murderous imagination with so few homicides in their own country. It, it that's clearly this, right? The desire to see e- not to see evil, not to turn away from it, not to say, don't look down in Tartarus, forget it. Just forget it. And let's go back to glory and honor and winning glory and defeating Turnus and establishing Rome and all that stuff that will ultimately lead to Caesar Augustus and for Dante, ultimately lead to the birth of Jesus. Instead, look at evil too. Look it right in the face. And that's what we're about to do. Look it right in the face as we descend to the heretics. So, before we close out, let me just read the passage one more time. And I, who had a tremendous desire to know the condition of such a fortress, the moment I was inside, I cast my gaze about and saw quite a wide plain all around full of grief and awful torments. Just as at Arles, where the Rhone slows down, or at Pola, right up against the Gulf of Quanerno, which encloses Italy and bathes her borders, where the tombs make the terrain uneven. So it was in this place on all sides, but with one very bitter difference. Here the tombs were checkered with fire that heated them up so much, no art needs the iron to be hotter. The lids of the tombs were lifted up, and the dreadful laments that came from inside were so hideous that they could only have come from wretchedness and pain. And I, Master, who are these people who, encased in these chests, make themselves felt with their suffering sighs? And he to me, Here are the chief heretics, with their followers from every sect. The tombs are so packed, you won't believe it. Like is entombed with like. But the monuments are hot by degrees, some more, some less. We took a turn by the right hand and we passed between the torments and the high battlements. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast, Walking with Dante. If you have, subscribe to the podcast. If you've already subscribed, drop down on that Apple page. You'll see a place where it says Write a Review. Write a Review. Connect with me on Twitter on Walking with Dante. Use that hashtag or just connect with me, Mark Scarborough. We can find each other and we can talk much more more about dante i had a great conversation with someone today who basically said to me (laughs) uh she's been in another uh sessions that i've been doing on trollop and she said to me she's gonna know i'm saying this now in this episode she said to me basically you let dante off the hook all the time and you never let trollop off the hook that may be the truth. But I don't think I'm letting Dante off the hook. I think I'm trying to figure out this poem passage by passage in all of its unbelievable complexity. So come back next time on the podcast, Walking with Dante.